0: Welcome to the Knot Work Storytelling Podcast. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a word witch, a writing coach, a story healer, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. Mythology and folklore are medicine for the modern soul. Let's hear today's story and explore why it still matters. Episode 7, Some 4,000-year-old Relationship Advice. My guest in this episode is Blair Glazer. Blair is a writer, leadership consultant, and licensed therapist who's taught several workshops for women, including Women Writing to Change the World, at the renowned Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. These days, she works primarily with women executives on developing effective strategies and teams. As a writer, she has been a correspondent and columnist for Playbill Online and a wellness columnist for Feminist.com. In addition to writing for a variety of online publications, including Shondaland, Greatest, Best Self, and The Muse, to name a few, her article, A Man Blatantly Stole My Ideas, My Reaction Surprised Me, was syndicated from the Huffington Post. She's read stories live at events such as Read 650, Generation Women, and won a prize for doing so at the Woodstock Book Fest. Well, I am so excited to have Blair Glazer here with us today on the podcast. Blair, welcome. I would love to hear your story.
1: Thank you so much, Marissa. I'm excited to be here too, and excited to share with you my experience, which happened Sometime in the early aughts, I was running popular workshops for women and I was invited to do a workshop at a big Jewish conference in New York City called Lishma. I don't know if it exists anymore. And I had done a lot of research on how Jewish women are stereotyped in the media and ways to talk about that and work with it and work against it. And I got there early, and in my workshop room was an Orthodox rabbi. His name is Y.Y. Jacobson, and he was giving a talk about the mystical Jewish tradition, Kabbalah and relationships. And I was piqued, but I also realized this was a very different speaker than I was. And he began by telling the story, I believe it's from Genesis, of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Some of your listeners may know this story. They may be familiar with the Bible. I was not a huge Bible reader at that time, but one of the things I did know is that many of the women in the Bible are sort of shadows of women. And so I was very curious as to what he was going to say. And the story that he told was when Jacob came to the land where Rachel and Leah and their father were tending the land and growing the tribe. and he saw, I forgot Rachel's father's name. I'm so sorry. I looked the story up before, but for those of you who know the Bible, I, I forgot the name of their father, but Jacob sees Rachel by the well and he's smitten. She's beautiful. And they have this moment and he goes to her father and he says, I would like to take your daughter's hand in marriage. And the father says, that's great. Work for me for seven years and you can have her. And as the Bible tells it, those seven years go by in a flash. And then there's a wedding. And the next morning after the wedding, Jacob wakes up next to Rachel's older sister, Leah. And Leah in the Bible is described as weak eyed, which kind of means ugly, unattractive. And Jacob's like, what happened? And he goes back to the father and he's like, well, how did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? And the father says, well, in our tradition, we always give the first daughter the hand first. So stick around, work for me for another seven years and you can have Rachel. So I think he gets Rachel sooner than that, but he's sticking around and It turns out that Leah is the one that can bear children. And she bears son after son, which of course makes Rachel very unhappy. But Jacob's true love is Rachel. And then there's a handmaiden that bears children. Anyway, part of me as I was listening to this story was upset in the way that the women were characterized. They were just birthing machines. They could be manipulated by the men. But then the rabbi starts talking about the significance. Of the story. And what he learned is that in relationships, we fall in love with Rachel and we end up married to Leia, the person that does the hard and painful work of bearing children, the person that leaves their socks on the floor in the bathroom, the person that is just a really a uh, very normal human being. And that interpretation based on, you know, what I was going through in my life, having been sort of single and a serial monogamist helped me think about the wholeness of what it means to be intimate with somebody and that things come in cycles, that we fall in love with somebody and then we sort of marry the whole picture, but then there's another wave of falling in love and then it goes like that. And it was really great for me to learn that from a rabbi, for me who's more spiritual than a religious Jew, and really struck me. And it impacted the way I thought of relationships and the expectations that I brought to them.
0: Oh, Blair, that's so, I so appreciate just the richness of the story within the story, and how, Mm. you know, so much of this podcast is about looking at how ancient stories. Heal our modern maladies, our medicine for us today. And your story just typifies that right in the sense of when we could go back and look back our multi thousands of years, our millennia, and recognize so much has changed, so much we still have to rail against, so much we still have to learn from and grow with and shift. And damn, being human's never been easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. So you knowing the invitation really was, well, do you have a story you want to share? You described so much of how that did shift and speak and change it, and it, to you and how you were in a probably a process of, would you say it was part of a process of becoming for you? You meant I mean the story is nearly 20 years old now. Like where mm-hmm. would it have come in for you in your own, Development, I guess, is the right word. There's something it just seems a little too um, not not quite a sexy enough term there. But how did it come into you for your own development?
1: Well, I like the fact that you brought in sexy into it because Mm -hmm. I do think that I had a lack of maturity around what happened when relationships, new relationships, stopped being sexy. Mm -hmm. I didn't have as many tools as either I thought I had or I needed that relaxed perspective that our beloved will at times appear to us as unattractive, will at times even appear to us as a little repellent mm-hmm. at moments and that that's part of the whole package. Right. That really opened me to, wow, I think you've been giving these guys a bit of a hard time. Maybe hang in there a little more and see what the relationship really has to offer and what you can and cannot tolerate. And uh, so that was the intimacy learning for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's just possible we would also look in the mirror and say, oh, there's a part of me that is perhaps, is it lazy eyed or wall eyed? How did they describe poor Leia?" Oh, no, not me. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, right. Of course. Right. Right. Of course. No, no, no.
1: Of course, exactly. I I had been hard on the men and also to forgive myself that there were times when I would be sparkly by the well, Rachel, and, you know, just the one that's bearing whatever it is, whether it's children or lumbering around in my PJs or, you know, whatever we do as humans, smelling all of those very human things that are
0: not so sexy right the morning after the night before version of ourselves (laughs) right yes yeah and of course that story itself even offers the morning after the night before of like how i love how you know so often if we are it's the standard romance tale the standard wooing story that would end and then they married and lived happily ever after and you know most often nobody that then they were fruitful and multiplied this story of course gives us that twist and says "Oh, oh oh but wait Mm -hmm. the story is what how he felt in the morning, not about the great wedding celebration that they all, you know, went on to live happily ever after.
1: Yes. Well, and then there's that question of like, how did he miss it? Like, you know, even if she wore the veil the whole evening, didn't he have to lift it up to kiss her or something? Like you just don't really miss that you're marrying the wrong person. (laughs) But we do feel that way at a certain point in relationship when that gloss of love mm. wears away we can feel betrayed right not you know we can make it about something that the person did but it really is just a natural phase for that absolutely delicious part of a relationship to taper off and then you're faced with the real person mm. so we're blinded in a way in that phase right
0: and it offers a kind of a different flavor of the marriage industrial complex, you know, mm. you look at now. <laughs> and because, of, of course, there was something in the story, too, that I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is also just pure Jane Austen. Like, I feel like we're worrying about which one of the Bennett sisters was going to get married first. So clearly, you know, Ms. Austen was reading her Bible. And this was but these were also mm-hmm. tropes that she lived. Mm-hmm. But in all of these different ages, whether it's looking to the biblical times, whether it's looking to, is it Re- Restoration England? When did they wear the high waisted dresses? I never know my. I- I'm a terrible English major in that way. It's Georgian, it's Edwardian, Victorian. not Victorian. <laughs> I don't think they were. Anyway, they were high waisted dresses, not corsets. It's all about the fashion. But, well, we're talking about wedding industrial complexes. So it is about the fashion. It's the veil that Leah was wearing. It's the metaphorical veil of now that says well yes i'm madly and passionately in love and damn it i'm going to get married and have this have this great union happen and i think we're moving through that myth and questioning it more and more but it certainly has been something that is not necessarily just ancient history and that need to get hitched find the one feel secure has been or you know a weight around many a modern person's ankles.
1: One of the things that I see that I feel this story could help with is that because the marriage industrial complex has been really we've just been sold the bill of goods, right? People are recognizing that it's not all it's chopped up to be. People are unhappy with monogamy. But then they, you know, I'm noticing this trend to sort of throw it all away. Right. And the process and what it takes to be present and intimate with somebody and the rewards of it are kind of being lost too. Mm. Mm -hmm. that's, That's a trend I'm seeing. It's not the only thing that's happening, but it makes me sad yeah
0: yeah and that's so much of your work is to be so tuned into how mm-hmm. partnerships are working in your clients lives and across the culture I'd say a little more about that what else is, is are you seeing in that
1: well i do think that um, technology has changed the way we relate and interact some of it is very positive i mean we're going back to jane austen's time can you imagine having to wait months to hear back from somebody in a communique. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, before this podcast, I emailed you and I think you got back to me in less than a minute. So (laughs) that's thrilled that that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything new when I say that it's difficult to understand how people who've grown up with phones are having a conversation while they're on their phone. Whereas my understanding of what it meant to have an intimate conversation was to be looking somebody in the eye. Right. Right. It's very different. Or at least be holding a
0: device to your head that had a cord attached to it. As we date ourselves so beautifully. But it's when I mentioned the marriage industrial complex, I realized like, well, that's so super 2006, sweetheart, which was when I was married. (laughs) And. Because, it, and of course, when you are, especially if you're a bride in your 20s, you think the entire world revolves around your wedding. And then if you Mm -hmm. go through Mm -hmm. many of the standard American things, it revolves around buying a home and then it revolves around having children and then it revolves around driving to soccer. Again, I will own that I've accidentally lived all of those pieces of my life and never expected to end up in any of them necessarily. But just how much has changed just in those fifteen years? Of you know, when I first met my husband at a bar, there was a cell phone, but I told him he couldn't text me because it cost ten cents each, and I didn't necessarily think that all of his communiques were worth ten cents. Oh my god! I was a brutal, brutal wench, <laughs> but lovable. Apparently, I gave him some Le- some Leia ahead of time because uh, well, I was on the rebound,
1: so I was, yeah. That was well, my story. you know. It sounds to me like you really gave him Rachel, because if we go back to the story, right? She was at the well, and there was this great moment, and then she walked away, and he had to fight for her, right? So you were just oh, throwing mm. her father's <laughs> degrees. That That's a really nice challenge. And for anybody who's listening, who's looking for intimacy, I think that it works, actually, if you're looking to build someone when there's something, some kind of hurdle, because It's so enormous when you really do meet somebody that you're very connected with. The connection will change you and that Mm -hmm. can feel very overwhelming and people get scared and then they push each other away and then they can spend a long time feeling really bad about that. To have some kind of barrier, whether it's set by you or location or just being able to slow things down a little bit, can Mm -hmm. help build the foundation for a good and lasting intimacy, which in the story, Jacob and Rachel did have. Right.
0: Yeah. So I want to shift gears just a tiny bit to return to what you were saying when you first heard that story and mm-hmm. you were really felt piqued by that sense of, oh, here's another female biblical stock character. Mm-hmm. And How we as modern heroines living our own lives as, you know, media savvy, deeply educated women who are looking for the foremothers who know that, as Virginia Woolf told us, Anonymous was a woman who can often look back and say, oh, God, there's just well, reading between the lines is exhausting Mm -hmm. to find those spaces between breaths about all they haven't said about those women that come before. How do you continue to kind of wrestle with and work with that? And how how has that shifted and changed for you over the years?
1: I think that the tendency today is to rail against it. And we were talking about this earlier when we're talking about long-term intimacy, to do away with it because it's outdated. Mm. For me, I'm willing to accept this biblical story as a metaphor in which Rachel, Leia, and even the handmaiden, I think her name is Bilia, who does some of the birthing, are facets of femininity, Mm -hmm. facets of one woman. I'm willing to work with that metaphor. I'm not thrilled that the uh, women in some ways are divided into different characters, but at the same time, if I'm being honest, if I'm looking at the men, they're one dimensional too. Right. Right. Yeah. They just have longer names. <laughs> <laughs> longer names or more advantage in the story, more power. And I like the fact that we've come a long way. That's where I place my focus and continue to place my focus as I work primarily with women in leadership positions now. I had a, a phase of my and my practice where I was working with people more in relationships. I still do that as I get referrals from the people who I used to work with. But more and more, I'm just working with women leaders, CEOs, small business leaders, and seeing how they are orienting themselves towards the future. One of my clients, for example, is the Women's Funding Network, which is completely focused on gender equity. So I'm looking forward at what we're creating moving forward and i take what i can from the metaphors from the past right
0: right and that therein is always you you kind of name the maybe the conundrum you know of i, I there's even just for me starting this show at this moment it says w- wait there's knowing that the problems of the present are so pressing. That need to look forward with a renewed perspective is so urgent. And I'm gonna go back to what I learned in college about mythology and <laughs> invite people to come tell their stories from, from the Bible and from the Celtic scribes. Like, wait, I'm not crazy.
1: <laughs> I
0: think I'm on to something. And it's still a tricky thing to do when we know that the problems of tomorrow are repaired through action, not necessarily through archival information.
1: Oh, I understand that split and that conflict. And I think your drive represents our need to hold both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're such a, wonderful reminder for us about the power of story in healing in mining our subconscious and our divine self mining our tools to move forward right right
0: i appreciate that thank you thank you well I feel if, you know, when you first told me that you were gonna bring this story, I had my own like, oh, I have a Bible story of two women too. And, you know, you're coming from the Jewish tradition, I'm coming from the Catholic tradition. Listeners, by the way, my maiden name is Glazer. And so way, way back, there might've been a day when the ancestors all shared a table, it's somewhere in Germany, most likely. But Long for, last exactly, exactly. At my mother's funeral, they read the story of Martha and Mary from the New Testament, which is that sense of Martha being the one who was cooking and cleaning and taking care of the meal and the dishes while Mary was sitting at Jesus's feet. And she was the the rare woman who got to be sitting amongst the men at the rabbi's feet receiving the teachings. And the priest at, at the funeral did a beautiful job of Rather, you know, a story that's, you know, oh my goodness, my mother has passed. Her. we I, is she a Martha or is she a Mary? And it's like, oh goodness, how, how, and how many ways was she a Martha to us while we all got to run off and pursue all of these dreams? And you know, there's an interesting irony in that, which is enough stories to tell there. And, and you know, without regret, but with just with with fascination and curiosity. But he offered that they were a combination of peace and passion. And that he did know my mother well enough to say, Janine was a combination of peace and passion. And that in those two women was that containing of, well, I guess virtues might be the biblical languaging around it, but two qualities that if we can hold the both, the present and the future, the beautiful sparkling lady at the well and the morning after, if the birthing hips, then in that union of complementary opposites, that's really where so much
1: of the path lies. It is so well said. I would bring that even further to say that our best creativity and our best collaboration comes from the tension Mm -hmm. between two opposing viewpoints. Yes.
0: And do you think that is the quest to find commonality within those, can we hold the opposing viewpoints with enduring grace? Or do you think we have this, you know, if it's that sense of, you know, all history comes together in an omega point sort of idea of having to bring it all together. What does that say to you? I'm not, I don't have an answer to that question myself, but it's just something to tease at a little bit
1: it's very topical, right? Because we're living in a day and age where people really are just polarized. Uh And I think the reason, one of the reasons I can't even begin to fathom it, but one of the mistakes that I see people making is that we've lost the common goal, right? So my take on what you're saying is that holding the opposite's knowing that we're working towards the same thing can birth something new. Right, right, yeah. But we have to remember that we're fighting together, not against one another. Right. Fighting for a new outcome. And each viewpoint has importance and validity. And then we need to remember that we're working to create something together. That's where what we are forgetting, I think. (laughs) And right. just really hating one another, to be honest.
0: Yes. What? Yeah. Creative tension is not necessarily supposed to be unmitigated stress and strain. Right. What a remarkable concept.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Although it is stressful and that's mm-hmm. OK. Right. 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 right.
0: As is partnership, as is, I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. that rabbi wouldn't have been there at this great big gathering to tell this story from millennia ago, if not for the fact that these enduring stresses within relationship, within reality and expectation. I mean, even just the way that, I love that I can only think of him as as Leia's husband at this point, because names are just poofing from my head, Jacob. Um, you know, there's a set the sense of the, the pathos we can have for him and like, oh, his expectations were really dashed. Like he was sold, a, 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 not a bill of goods because Leia has had her amazing virtues, but like not very honest there, father-in-law, about the rules of the clan. hmm hmm And mm-hmm. the difficulty of entering into any agreement when we don't necessarily have all the facts. Yeah. So are there any other pieces of the story that you want to reflect on or make sure that we, we spend a little time lingering over?
1: There is an impulse in me to do a recap of the fact that when we enter into intimacy, we're often transported into a poetic and divine state of being, Mm. And that in that state, we can miss certain things. It's almost essential that we miss certain things. Mm -hmm. But we will go to great lengths to pursue the person that engenders that feeling in us. And that understanding that that feeling will come and go over time. And that grounded relationships involve relating with each other in the everyday mundane, and sometimes really unattractive aspects of living is a part of the full human and intimate experience mm-hmm. of being connected to another person
0: right and that speaks to that it's just the kind of the I guess the trick of being alive and the trick of being in relationship i think you use the phrase what that other the feelings that other person engenders in you mm-hmm and that so much of relationships are indeed an inside job as much as they are about communication and give and take and working <laughs> together with that partner. I mean, sometimes I'm just staggered. We're as successful as we are as a species considering <laughs> all the complicated layers. <laughs>
1: yeah. I know what you mean.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, Well, Blair, I, I'm so grateful to you and for this perspective and this story and, you know, that idea that this has been working on you and with you for 20 years and that it has, you know, a chance encounter, right? And just a story from the Bible you never would have sat down to read yourself and how it has, has that power to keep rippling forth and to keep rippling forth here to those who may have a chance to
1: hear it. Thanks for inviting me to revisit it, relearn from it. And share with your audience.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Can you just give us an idea of where folks can find a little bit more about you and your work and your writing?
1: Absolutely. My website is blairglazer.com. That's Blair, no E, Glazer with an S, just like your maiden name, <laughs> dot com. You can also find me at Blair Glazer on Twitter, at Blair-Glazer on the Instagram, and and if anyone's still on Facebook, I'm there too. <laughs>
0: yep. It's inescapable in so many ways. I do feel that many of my listeners are there and they'll understand what I say when I'm talking about the marriage industrial complex. So it's good sometimes to know your know your audience and right. uh, speak as a child of the seventies <laughs> and, uh, and, and be open to all the other tales, but own the one you lived. Cause you know, It got us to where we are today.
1: It sure did. It sure did.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, Blair, it was so wonderful sharing a story with you and laughing with you and learning with you and diving into this really important territory about how it is that we manage the great expectation of being alive and being together in this life. Thank you so
1: much. Thanks again. Looking forward to hearing more stories.
0: Quick question for you before we say goodbye today. Do you have stories within that are yearning to come through? I want to tell you about the Sovereign Writers Knot. It's my online writing community for creatives, healers, seekers, and dreamers. In this online writing group, we gather together to explore our stories. You don't have to come with any specific agenda. You only have to come with a willingness to meet yourself on the page and a desire to create community with other writers who are on a quest to do the same. You can learn more over my website, marisagaudi.com slash sovereign-writers. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. You can find out more about my writing, my book, and how to work with me as a writing coach and story healer, as well as my online writing community and courses at marisagoudy.com. Follow the show on Instagram at NotWorkPodcast and join our listeners group over on Facebook. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional Irish reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie-Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. Remember... Ancient stories are medicine for our modern maladies, and your stories can help heal the past, anchor us
1: into the present, and create a more beautiful, sustainable future.